Welcome to the Terrawatt Space Podcast. This is Arvind. In this podcast, I demystify Earth observation, satellite data, and all its applications. Today, I'm speaking with Abe Tarapani, CEO of Atlas AI. I wanted to feature Atlas AI as startup of the month on the podcast, as I believe they are doing something very important and impactful with satellite data. I'll let you listen to Abe explaining what Atlas AI does, but to give you an idea, they are attempting to fill the gaps in socioeconomic and environmental data across parts of the world that don't have access to such data today. They leverage Earth observation and machine learning and create datasets, which make sure that significant economic and infrastructure-related decisions in those countries can be made efficiently. In this episode, Abe and I discuss the problem Atlas AI is trying to solve and why their approach is different, their product strategy and knowing where to draw the line, why they publish details about their science and methodology, the recent announcement on the project with the Rockefeller Foundation and eGuide, the need for the advisory service layer in EO, and more. This was a very insightful conversation, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. And now I bring you Abe Tarapani. Abe, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ervin. Brilliant. Let's get started. The first question that I usually start with is to ask guests to describe their story. I'm going to ask the same to you. What's your story and how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. The short version is that I've really spent the majority of my career working with technical founders to find paths to commercialize some innovation or, or technical invention that they've developed that really, in most cases, ultimately has a wide range of potential end-user problems that they might might address. And the question is, is often, which problem should that business focus on to realize its full potential? Uh, this has uh, been across a number of different industries over over time. And I you know, have ultimately just come to love the iterative process of, of triangulating between market need, team capabilities, founder vision to build a path forward at the earliest stages of company development, uh, you know, especially relevant in the earth observation sector, as I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. Uh, I had an opportunity early in my career to join as one of the first team members of a renewable energy startup that was focused on developing some of the first utility-scale solar projects in, in India. And that work brought me to live in Mumbai for a number of years, and I worked across South Asia, the Middle East, and Sub-Saharan Africa during that period, often working with government partners before there was even a, uh, a, you know, an initial solar project or, or even a policy framework on the ground to, to support renewable energy development. Uh, just that experience taught me a few key things that have really paved the path for the rest of my career. One was that the way to build wide-scale adoption of sustainability-oriented solutions is often to make the economic case, not the sustainability case. Uh, for example, the, the case for solar power in India in 2008 was not really about clean energy. It was about domestic energy security and it was about the co- country's exposure to expensive imported coal that was driving electricity prices upward. So we, we learned a lot about how to make the case for these new technologies and, uh, and, and especially ones that, that ultimately we were driving forward because of our belief in, uh, in, in the need for a greater focus on sustainability, but, but in markets that were not yet ready to, um, uh, to kind of prioritize that, that case. Uh, the second big lesson was that there was just a fundamental lack of fresh granular information in rapidly developing markets to help the case for greater investor interest there, uh, and in particular in the, supporting the build-out of physical and economic infrastructure. Uh, and I've just been fascinated ever since by how we can harness new solutions, uh, new sources of information, new types of sensors to promote investor uh, activity and capital allocation and in favor of inclusive and sustainable development around the world. That interest has brought me to work across several alternative data and ML companies over the past decade and, and ultimately to Alice AI, where I joined as CEO in 2020. Awesome. It seems like an exciting journey that you've been through. And I guess it makes sense from you know what your journey has been uh, to you joining Atlas AI, which you know I think builds upon a lot of your learnings that you mentioned. Um, cool. So let's get to Atlas AI. What's um, what's the elevator pitch for Atlas AI? Sure. Uh, Alice AI was was founded in 2018 by David Lobel, Marshall Burke, and Stefano Ehrman, who uh, are, are uh, well-regarded professors at Stanford and, and longtime research collaborators between the Earth Systems uh, side of Stanford and the Computer Science side of Stanford. Uh, that team had published some research that had demonstrated the use of deep learning models to predict socioeconomic indicators. So think indicators such as the asset wealth of local households, the productivity of, of 
basic crops like maize, uh, the presence or access to, to key infrastructure like roads or electrification. Uh, in particular, they were focused on regions where, where the statistical data record was incomplete or, or out of date or where there was just a fundamental lack of, of underlying survey data where these traditionally very data-hungry deep learning models would, would have uh, uh, traditionally been required in order to operate effectively. So a lot of their research developed new methods that could work in very data-scarce environments. Uh, for, for obvious reasons, there was a lot of international interest in this work, especially from the development sector uh, on the application of, of the research in, in development contexts. And, uh, and, and, and Marshall, David, and Stefano were able to uh, inspire the Rockefeller Foundation, which was devoting more attention to supporting the data and AI for good solution space uh, to come in and participate in the founding of the company as, as, as a core partner. Uh, so Alice AI was set up as a public benefit corporation, and, and, and really the aim of the company was to continue to advance the frontier science of this type of economic measurement. Uh, and, and importantly, and really even more importantly, to build the platform and application layers that make these assets accessible and useful to mainstream companies, governments, and, and social sector organizations. So my part of the story uh, early on was an advisor to that team at Stanford uh, and later joined the company full-time in 2020. Awesome. And what, what made you join the joint team? Um, is it because, you know, you wanted to kind of, I don't know, impart the learnings that you learned from your past experiences and kind of help the team execute on its vision? Yeah, absolutely. It felt like it was, in many respects, the embodiment of everything I had been building towards before that. You know, this combination of working with with really brilliant technical minds uh, who had developed this core underlying technology that still was very much in need of shaping in ter terms of market direction and a, and a product strategy, and and in an industry that I had you know, tremendous experience in and and uh, you know and a love for thinking about how we how we create more transparency and awareness of a real-time uh, global societal conditions. So uh, I, if I were to uh, draw out my ideal uh, job as of 2018 uh, on, a, on a piece of paper, it would be hard to describe a company uh, better suited than Atlas AI for, for my next step. Yeah, that's, um, that's exciting. Uh, on going back to you know, what Atlas AI is about, it seems like fundamentally it is trying to solve the problem of basically trying to fill the gap uh, in developing countries in terms of data that is not available. And today with Earth Observation and, uh, you know, the power of machine learning models, we can, you know, look at uh, these these countries and gather data from, you know, even though it's not available on the ground or maybe in some countries it's available on the ground and the ability to fuse that and, you know, derive derive basically indicators, as you, as you mentioned, socioeconomic indicators, that, is that kind of what you're trying to solve? Is that the core problem? Yeah. So, so ultimately, our, our our mission as a company, the problem that we're really trying to solve is is how to create a, a more up to date and dynamic view of how the global economy is changing. And 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 ultimately, the the role that that model plays in unlocking trillions of dollars in capital to support the inclusive and sustainable development of of communities around the world. So, the data that we develop is a Kind of core building block and ultimately unlocking that model of economic change and, and, and ultimately using that model to, to, to help, whether it's governments or, or social sector organizations or, or companies, to, to invest more, uh, more effectively and productively towards the, the development of society. Uh, but, but we see ourselves very much as an as a analytics and decision support company as opposed to, say, a data company. Uh, our, our belief is that uh, that, that global investment should account for both the growth potential and, and off, often also the vulnerability and disconnection of, of local communities. And, and we're building basically the full stack necessary to enable organizations to invest more inclusively, especially into communities that have been traditionally underserved by, uh, by, by global investment. Uh, realize there's a lot of ambition in that statement. Uh, the, you know, the fact remains that there are something like $5.7 trillion in annual investment that's estimated to, to be needed to address the, just the basic realities of, of uh, climate change and the, and the severe effects that we're starting to feel as of 2022. 
so the, the analogy that I often use to describe what we're trying to do is I, I know will resonate with you, which is with the latest weather models, right? So how are, we're ultimately trying to build a compilation of various sensors that, that, that feed into predictive models about global economic change instead of meteorological change. Uh, but, but then really to, uh, to kind of make that technology impactful through the applications and downstream decision support capabilities that we offer to the market. Uh, at the moment, we're particularly focused on two categories or, or problem sets. One relates to helping commercial organizations better understand the evolving demand profile and economic activity in their markets as a way to, to more intelligently operate and grow their businesses. Uh, and then the second is working with social sector organizations to pin pinpoint vulnerable communities uh, and communities that might be best supported through programmatic work in environment of ever constrained budget. So that, that might relate to food insecurity or, uh, or kind of early adolescent risks of, of, uh, of nutrition and, and healthcare challenges, uh, as, as well as just basic so social safety net provision. Yeah, 100%. And what I like about your problem statement is it's not typical for an earth observation company because or the typical earth observation company would say, this is the data gap and this is what we're trying to solve, you know, either by launching a satellite or by, you know, combining different data sources and building a product. I guess your problem set is, you know, going one step further, right? Like it's not just creating that data set, but then what that data set is going to enable and focusing on that impact, right? And I kind of call it impact-driven strategy where, you know, you don't focus on, you know, whether the customer needs data or analytics, but then what is going to be the result of that data that, you know, after it is available, you know, what is the impact of that data? And, and I can I, I can hear that that that's the part that you'd want to focus on, right? Like it's not you want to just generate this data and then go away. You want to make sure that the data is going to be useful for those you know investment projects that you're talking about, whether it's from the enterprises or from the government, right? That's kind of where your differentiation lies in as well in terms of your thinking. Uh, absolutely, and 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 I'll preface by saying that the data that we've developed on on these very localized socioeconomic conditions has been a key catalyst in, in, in creating Atlas AI from, from the first place. And, and it does provide sorely missing information in, in, in areas that just are lacking in recent statistical data otherwise. Uh, but that being said, long term, nothing would make us happier if this statistical kind of underlying statistical record was available through public sources or, or other sources. The, the fact remains that the problem that we think exists is how to connect all of this underlying economic and societal data to pressing investment challenges about how capital can be allocated to improve the well-being of society, the success of organizations that are trying to grow in, in, in these regions and, uh, and, and informing effective policy and, and regulatory activity to um, uh, as just underlying fabric for for continued growth and development. Makes sense. And so your product, what what does the technology stack look like? So obviously, you know, you take uh, data from satellites. I'm guessing there are also other data sources, um, maybe open data sources, correct? Is that kind of how your technology stack looks like on top of which, you know, your machine learning models operate on? Yeah, exactly. So think of our, think of our stack as, as four layers. Layer one is is the underlying data inputs that feed into our models. And we use a, a range of public uh, satellite sources like, like Sentinel and Landsat programs, some commercial satellite inputs. Uh, we work with weather data, with, uh, with ground survey data, uh, and, and, and a range of other uh, inputs that are, that are relevant for various models that we're developing. Uh, layer number two, or, or, or uh, you know, the second layer of the stack is uh, is basically uh, socioeconomic models that, that give very high resolution uh, estimates for a, a wide range of, uh, of attributes of local communities. So this is everything from understanding the physical footprint of these communities and how that's changing over time to uh, demographic uh, profiles, uh, livelihood profiles, infrastructure access and reliability profiles of these communities and, and monitoring uh, change that's occurring with regards to them. 
the third layer uh, is then ultimately a set of predictive models that harness this information. And often uh, in conjunction with a customer's own internal operational data to predict uh, and identify relevant opportunities to advance their mission uh, out in the world. And, and there we, we typically, as I mentioned earlier, work with uh, both commercial enterprises that are you know, typically consumer-facing organizations. They're, they're, say, in the financial services or healthcare, agriculture, energy, telecommunication space. And, and the core challenge they're trying to identify is the world is changing really rapidly. Communities are evolving. People are, are moving. And it's difficult to keep a real-time pulse on, on where demand in the market is and how these companies make day-to-day -day operating decisions in, in, in support of most efficiently going out and pursuing that demand. Uh, and, and then uh, as it regards to social sector organizations, uh, often what we're focused on is helping them gain similar insight. But instead of maximizing revenue potential, the question that they're uh, ultimately trying to optimize around is, uh, is the impact relevant to the specific program or theory of change that they're trying to advance. So that third layer uh, ultimately provides insights and recommendations that are, are, are learning from an organization's own internal uh, database as well as Atlas AI's, uh, what we call our socioeconomic fabric. Uh, and then the fourth layer, uh, which is relevant for some, but not all of our customers, is a set of software applications that, that make this data operationally useful uh, in the context of the organization's work. Uh, so some organizations utilize that as a core management information system or business intelligence tool, uh, and some organizations prefer to take a direct stream of analytics into an existing set of tools that they have within their business. All right, very clear. Makes uh, makes a lot of sense. And how is this organized into core products? So I'm guessing you know the third and the fourth layer uh, you mentioned are like your core products, um, because the second layer is more of a processing engine. Um, and the first layer is like the data inputs, right? So I'm guessing the third and fourth are your data products. Is that kind of how it's organized or what are your core products? You're, you're, you're guessing right. So we, I'll, I'll say that we do have a few customers that have the technical capacity and expertise to utilize some of the underlying socioeconomic data we develop. And we do license that out on a, on a subscription basis, but that's not a huge part of our business. And, and again, it's part of our thesis that there just aren't enough organizations out in the world with the capacity to really harness the, the kind of the intricacy and the complexity of that underlying data. Uh, so we, we really think of that third and fourth layer as being one solution with two different ways of a company accessing the product. Uh, so uh, Aperture, uh, which is the, the brand of our flagship software application, uh, is uh, is an, is what we call a demand intelligence application. Basically, it's it's an ongoing predictive intelligence platform that is learning from ongoing developments within a company's own business uh, alongside ongoing change and variability in the outside market uh, to understand and uh, and and pinpoint where opportunity is for that company to to grow or to to advance their core. Uh, business in metrics that they're that they're trying to manage too. So, for example, an internet service provider that's operating in, in East Africa might uh, might want to better understand where are the tier two and tier three cities across a country that have historically not been targeted because they've been perceived to be too small or or you know not sufficient. Uh, market size in order to justify the, the upfront investment and in extending fiber connectivity into those communities. Uh, or once that investment has been made, uh, there's just not enough visibility into how, uh, what good performance looks like on a community by community basis. So for example, we have a customer who uh, has, was, was using our, our, our product and historically they thought that they had been growing very uh, successfully in one of their regions, one of their sales territories by 20% year over year over year, we were able to show them that the market was 10x ultimately what they had previously thought it was. And that, in that perspective, their sales performance actually didn't, uh, uh, didn't show up as, as impressive. So a lot of our customers are, are basically trying to identify where unmet demand is. We think that's a day-to-day -day challenge that they need to be managing towards uh, and requires this interconnected view of, of in internal performance and, and external market development. 
All right. And, you know, in terms of, because based on what I'm hearing, it seems like your data is going to be applied across industries um, because any company that either wants to, you know, grow their business or set up new infrastructure can make use of your data sets. But are there some core markets that uh, you're focusing on right now? There are. And and, and there's definitely uh, some horizontality to, to what we've been developing. Again, there are many industries that are trying to expand their consumer reach and better understand how mar- how kind of fundamental attributes of markets are, are evolving in order to inform where they invest, how they manage their business more effectively. So we, we see common patterns in, in a range of industries that are, uh, are, are, are ultimately trying to answer these questions. That being said, it's inevitable over time that as we try to get closer and closer to the end operating decision that we'll need to verticalize the platform somewhat. And and today, uh, energy, telecom, and agriculture are the three industries that we've been uh, spending the most time on as a business. Uh, so again, these are typically the consumer or small business-facing sides of those industries uh, and helping to inform successful growth and, and often uh, unfamiliar or undertapped markets. All right, interesting. Because I'm, I'm wondering, how do you decide where to stop? Because I was going to ask you about your product, but then, you know, it makes me wonder how, because the biggest challenge, I think one of the biggest challenges in our situation today is, you know, companies, can they, should they just provide analytics? You know, should they just provide data sets? Or should they go one level deeper and kind of, you know, develop a tool? You know, it can be a user interface, it can be developing a couple of extra features. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to decide where to stop, right? Because, you know, you have this data set, right? Like, you know, take any data set, for example, uh, socioeconomic indicator, but, you know, you need to kind of apply it to a specific situation or a specific industry or a specific use case. And it's hard to, you know, get there without having the market expertise in that specific industry. So, you know, and then you need to do that across different industries, right? So it becomes harder. So I'm curious how you made that product decision to kind of stop somewhere. Yeah, it's a great question. And I, it's one that I, I think, honestly, Alice AI and probably many other Earth observation companies continue to, to learn and iterate on a position um, towards, you know, I'll say that the, the, probably the unsaid but implied part of your question is that data companies in general tend to gravitate towards consulting business models, right? It's, a, it's kind of a core challenge of building a, you know, a, a, a kind of an analytics or, or technology-centric business model for a data company that their customers often have, you know, even within a vertical, you know, numerous underlying uh, needs that are specific to the business that you know, benefit from human intuition and ingenuity and and, and application. Uh, so that you know, that recognition also places pressure on on being very diligent and uh, and careful in how we think about where to draw that line that you were you were asking about. Uh, for us, right now, we draw the line at. Uh, at, at basically a set of predictive analytics that are designed to o- identify where there are anomalies and or identified uh, opportunities in markets that, that organizations are, are either uh, currently serving or, or adjacent to. And so to if we take an example of a uh, agricultural services company that's that's attempting to provide uh, services and, and products to, to farmers in, a, in, in uh, say, southern Africa, uh, what we're trying to help identify is where are the likely markets that are best suited for these inputs? Uh, where are the markets that these organizations are already serving but are likely to be underperforming in relative to the total market potential? How are markets evolving over time in a way that might influence different strategies? Uh, but we're not yet recommending that this company uh, relocate two of their salespeople to a different region, right? That would probably move into the world of kind of consultative uh, analysis and recommendation that we don't feel prepared for. Uh, ultimately, like most technology companies, uh, we feel great urgency to ensure that what we're building is standardized, scalable, uh, and able to be used without a huge amount of, uh, of kind of manual effort, either on Atlas AI's part or on our customers' part. All right, that makes sense. I want to move on to Earth observation-related questions. And the first thing that I wanted to ask was, do your customers care where the data comes from? You know, do they care that it's a satellite and, you know, forget the name of the satellite or the provider? 
do they first of all care where the data comes from or is it important to them? The vast majority of customers don't care about what the inputs are into this process. They may care more from the standpoint of, of wanting to ensure that those inputs are sustainable and are going to be accessible over time as they adopt and, and integrate this product into their their day-to-day business systems. Uh, so you know, there are sometimes questions about how our sources of data uh, can be sustained over time. Uh, but in general, what they're interested in is the quality of recommendation and the quality of analysis that comes out of this platform. So uh, we, you know, now that being said, of course, there are, are, are some customers that really enjoy the technical details about what makes this technology work. They're, they're fascinated to learn more about the Earth observation space and how these data sources enable what we're ultimately able to produce for them. Uh, but for the most part, customers want to know that this is providing a reliable signal to them that they can consistently operate based off of, and everything else is just underlying details of, of how it all works. Yeah, 100%. And as a company, how much do you track the developments in the Earth observation market? Like, are there, you know, I think we can talk about your team, but then are there people in the team who are excited about exploring new data sets? Because, you know, I just published my, let's say, yearly state of EO report, and there are, I don't know, hundreds of companies there, even in just on the data layer, you know, launching satellites. And there are probably a lot of use cases that can apply to you from all of these sensors that are going to be launched and are being launched. But as a company, do you, you know, look into this, you know, a little too much and care about it as this is your almost primary source of data? Or is this more of, you know, you want to look at the problem and then see if, you know, if the problem requires data, get data set, and then you go and investigate two approaches? Yeah, it's it's more the latter. I'll say that we do have ongoing conversations with with many of the companies in the space just to stay abreast of of developments and and understand even the menu of what's possible right now. But uh, that could easily drown us uh, as a as a relatively small team and and one that's trying to st- stay focused on on the uh, on the mission at hand. Uh, we we tend to work backwards from an overall framework of the economic models that we're attempting to build and and and, uh, and and then inform what information might be most valuable. So for example, if our goal is improving the temporal resolution of our data, so improve, improving how often that information is refreshed to track higher frequency activity out in the world, that might then inform us to go out and, and ex- explore and experiment with uh, with EO companies or other other providers of, of uh, data that offer higher refresh rates or high revi- higher revisit rates. Uh, similarly, as, as another just kind of real example, uh, Marshall Burke, one of the, the Stanford for, one of the Stanford professors behind Atlas, uh, has been publishing a, a wealth of research on the relationship between uh, air quality uh, and emissions and and, uh, and and air quality from fires on economic well-being and economic activity, clearly a very relevant topic ultimately for Atlas and thinking about how economic change is, is influenced by different uh, different external stimuli. Uh, so that might then it, in, inform an investigation and understanding which which companies are, are building capacity to understand emissions or air quality measures from, from space. All right, that makes sense. And, you know, I want to come back to one thing you mentioned about the, you know, the publications that your company has been doing, I think even on your website, you have quite a few findings. I'm, I'm curious, um, first, why do that? Is it because, you know, the company was founded based on that principle of, you know, the, the three co-founders, as you mentioned, they did a lot of work and they published. So, you know, you continue doing it as a company because I don't see a lot of companies doing that to, you know, just publish what their methodology is. I mean, we'll get to how important discussing your methodology and, you know, reviewing it with people is, but why do it in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I, certainly one of our core values as a company relates to scientific exploration. Uh, there's a, a good portion of our team that still, you know, that consider themselves scientists and are, and are they're still mandated with, uh, even within the context of Alice AI, advancing scientific research. Uh, as a public benefit corporation, one of the ways that we think we can contribute to societies by by raising awareness of some of the the new methods that are emerging from the AI field, especially as it relates to 
uh, our solution set around socioeconomic measurement and economic prediction. So part of it is that it just fits naturally within within the value and the mission that we're uh, that we're looking to advance within the company. Uh, the reality is, though, that a lot of customers and users out in the world have real questions about why these methods can be trusted and the fact that we can share with them published peer-reviewed research that uh, has gone through the rigor of of that whole process builds a lot of comfort and confidence in in some of the underlying technical building blocks behind the company. It's it's been on my head for a while is a lot of earth observation companies especially on the you know on the analytics and insights side are you know doing a lot of incredible work but then this is exactly what uh, I was not worried about, but just thinking about in terms of, you know, a company, you know, developed an algorithm to, you know, derive an indicator, a variable, you know, some kind of data set. But part of me that thought about was who is validating that? Because, you know, there's probably going to be large scale consumption of that data set um, in the real world and people are going to make real world decisions. But who is going to look into, you know, the methodology and the framework that was followed uh, to get that out? And which is why I'm kind of glad that you're publishing your findings. But do you think that's necessary in an industry like ours where, you know, the impact of our data set is, is almost higher? You know, we are not just creating software. You know, it's not, it's not a chat tool or it's not, you know, a video calling tool. It's it's tool that is going to lead to real life, yeah, real life decisions, really. So do you think this is you know, this should be done more in the industry as we continue to kind of derive more and more data sets from Earth observation data? My experience is that it, it, it certainly helps. It, it helps speed mainstream adoption of these technologies uh, to offer the comfort that there's been that level of validation and, and, uh, uh, and review of these methods. But the reality is, is that uh, at least in, in the context of, of my work with with customers, both at Alice AI and and, uh, and and several prior data companies, customers are really well attuned to high quality, reliable data, and I think quickly identify what the trustworthy sources of information are. So, uh, well, I, I think the validation is is helpful. It's it's great that we're seeing more and more public efforts to study the reliability and and. Uh, uh, and scalability of these methods. Uh, the, the fact is, is that most organizations that are that are trying to apply these methods to very high stakes uh, activities within the business, whether it be in, in investing capital at scale or, or informing operating priorities or driving policy, uh, they're able to identify very quickly in their evaluation of these tools, whether these sources are trustworthy and, and whether the data, frankly, just meets the, the sense test of, of uh, making sense in markets that they're very familiar with. All right. I want to get to, you know, your recent announcement and, the, you know, the project that you're doing with the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, the new one that you got the grant for. Do you want to talk about that? It seems like a very, very interesting project. And I always get excited when, Earth observation data and the you know the insights derived from satellite data are used for re- real world applications, and this seems like uh, one such project. Yeah, I appreciate you asking about it. We're we're hugely excited about the the announcement with with uh, the eGuide Academic Consortium and, and the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, which uh, basically announced a a five point five million dollar uh, grant from the Rockefeller Foundation to support the development of a policy support platform in uh, in sub-Saharan Africa uh, to help guide infrastructure investments in the agriculture, uh, transportation, and energy sectors. So the, the, the thesis behind this program is that historically, a lot of uh, focus on development, uh, measurement, and statistics has been uh, is, has been somewhat siloed. So even if you think about the sustainable development goals, there are these very discrete uh, goals with with specific indicators within each of them that uh, that pertain to the, the the theme of that indicator. If we're talking about SDG seven and universal energy access, you know, we're, we're focused on uh, on uh, inter- eliminating energy poverty and bringing connectivity to every person on the planet. 
but the reality is, is that a lot of real world investment questions about how to promote development and, and resilience to, to, to climate change and some of these critical topics often comes at the intersection or the nexus of, of various sectors. So you, one of the examples I, I called out in our announcement was that you bring electrification to a village and all of a sudden that unlocks new opportunities to irrigate fields, which help to promote resilience against drought. And, and, and that has a flow through in terms of the economic resilience of the community. You know, similarly, you upgrade a road and that, that not only speeds up the transportation and connectivity to, to markets, but it helps to reduce post-harvest loss for farming communities that are, that are trying to speed uh, the delivery of produce to markets. And, and there are countless examples, especially at the intersection of energy, agriculture, and transportation that uh, really benefit from more of a systems level view. Uh, so we feel like as a company, we've been spending years now uh, honing the science on measuring some of the, 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 the specific indicators, like measuring the electrification status of a, of a particular community or understanding how land is being used for agricultural development. Uh, but the, the next chapter of our company, and frankly, what we believe is the next chapter of this field, needs to be thinking about the, the interconnectivity of these different measures to create a more complete picture of how these communities are evolving, what types of investment in what sequences and, and in which locations can go the furthest to promote community well-being and, de and development, how to, how to roll that up into national pictures to inform policy about national economic development priorities. Uh, so this program is really geared towards creating a substantial uh, applied uh, 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 platform and, and underlying data and underlying research that, that helps to, to uh, demonstrate the feasibility of, of these topics. Uh, so ultimately, there are a number of unanswered questions that, that need to be addressed. It's why we're so excited to be working with the eGuide Consortium, which for, for uh, those in your audience who aren't familiar, is a uh, consortium of uh, of scientists from Columbia University, from Carnegie Mellon, from UMass Amherst, and from RIT, uh, who have been working in their own uh, right for years on using satellite data and other sensors to, in particular, measure the, the state of electricity markets in, in, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. So, for example, using satellite information to forecast electricity demand. Uh, so we have this really... Uh, wonderful uh, collaboration between you know, the, the private sector side of Atlas AI, which uh, is, is trying to use science to scale up applied solutions uh, with a range of, of academic teams that are trying to answer fundamental research questions. And the output of this will be felt both in terms of new knowledge, but, but in particular in terms of a wealth of public data sets and, and, and a decision-making platform that we uh, released to policymakers in, in, in the countries in, in question. So uh, we expect that this is really the start of a long-term effort to, to bring that systems level picture to the development uh, uh, development analytics space. Uh, and we're, uh, we're really grateful for the support from Rockefeller to, uh, to kickstart this three-year effort. Yeah, no, it's a, it sounds like a very interesting project. And what I like about the project is, you know, I have seen several of these kind of projects um, and they used to usually tend to be temporary in nature, meaning, you know, they are there, there's funds provided for, I don't know, installing, you know, the easiest example that comes to my mind is installing a weather station, right? So they install the weather station, you know, two years later, um, the project funding is done and then maybe the weather station fails to work. And, you know, then, then that's it, right? There's no, long-term implication for that project it did a short-term fix but then what i like about this project is it is setting up an infrastructure that is going to help these countries kind of make long-term decisions for the future uh, because you know now they will have the tools um, and a digital platform at the end that's going to again you know lead them to make decisions that's going to be for their economic development right so it's there's a long-term path to it so that's kind of what i think that excites me about this project specific project yeah, similarly, I, I, that's what excites me about it as well. And in particular, I, you know, I think too often the international technology community thinks that 
kind of new tools and new new technologies can provide the answer to markets that, you know, frankly, we're not living in, and and that we don't have anywhere near the the, the local, cultural, uh, political, uh, and 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 other contexts that really filter into making appropriate decisions for how to allocate resources and and how to steer investment. So. Uh, what I appreciate about this effort, and, and and again, I think this is thanks to just the, you know, the diversity of partners at the table, uh, is that we're really looking to provide assistive tools and, and inputs to the policymakers themselves, who are going to have the best ability to to harness that information to make decisions about about economic and investment policy. Uh, so this is very much uh, intended to be an enabler rather than. Uh, a new answer or or a better answer for for these regions. Right, makes sense. One question on the state of Earth observation today. What are your thoughts on the market? You know, you see, I'm sure you're probably tracking, and like you mentioned, uh, you keep abreast of what's going on in the Earth observation world. What kind of sensor being launched? What kind of product companies are coming up? Um, perhaps there are, you know, analytics that you might partner up with, or sorry, companies you might want to partner up with on certain analytics. I don't know, but you know the ecosystem is growing, and it's it's also from my perspective, it's getting hard to even try keep track of uh, everything. But what are your thoughts on the state of um, Earth observation today? Yeah, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I'm I'm far from an expert on the industry, uh, but but I'll say that the question that I'm I'm most interested in, I think that Atlas as a company is most interested in, is is how the commercial Earth observation sector evolves to support companies and, and use cases like ours. So, you know, probably to significantly oversimplify, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of the, the early use cases in, in, in this community uh, for analytics on Earth observation data evolved around monitoring like a fairly bounded amount of, uh, of land, right? So we're monitoring a port, we're monitoring a mine, we're monitoring a field or, or some collection of fields. But you know, that the kind of the total area uh, under observation is relatively constrained and bounded. Uh, of, of course, you know, with the likely exception of, say, defense or intelligence or some of the, the larger traditional customers of, of these companies. Uh, Atlas AI, on the other hand, and, and, a, and a range of other companies that I think are really emerging right now to, to monitor planetary health or societal health or, or uh, to inform use cases at that type of scale don't need to monitor one or a hundred or even a thousand kilometers. We need to monitor tens of millions of kilometers on an ongoing basis. And that just fundamentally breaks the traditional business model of these earth observation companies. We're also, frankly, just not as uh, well suited to uh, use the tasking uh, capabilities of these companies, which I think has driven a lot of their economics and you know, in, in, in the past, like we're very happy to have uh, base map inputs and, and, you know, and other continuous monitoring inputs coming into the business as opposed to uh, tasking for imagery based on a particular customer question or need. And again, that goes back to uh, we're, we're, we're building a company that's aiming to uh, scalably answer these questions for thousands of customers, not to deliver advisory services to uh, to subsets of that of, of of that customer base, so how how commercial businesses uh, in the EO space support that type of large scale imagery requirement for still young companies like Atlas AI remains to be seen. We're talking with a number of these companies about how they might think about that going forward. Uh, we certainly don't. Think that needs to be at odds with the traditional business models of, of these companies, but it, it, it remains an unsolved problem. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, it is, and I hope it'll be solved because unless it's solved, there's uh, you know the whole impact of um, commercial observation data is not going to be realized. We'll see how that goes. But are there any data gaps that uh, you see in your domain? Um, you know, what is the biggest gap that you have in terms of data uh, with respect to data? Perhaps you know maybe one of the companies or, you know, one of the companies is actually launching something that can help fill the data gap, I don't know, or maybe someone will get an idea based on what you're saying. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll say that, you know, in, kind of in the broad framing of data gaps, we, we lose a lot more sleep as a company about how we fill in gaps in, in ground survey data uh, relative to 
uh, you know, new sources of Earth observation data that we haven't tapped into in, in the past. So we are constantly thinking about how we can access and, and collect and, and build our own capabilities to better understand uh, local, uh, local conditions across a range of, of different dimensions. Uh, I think we have, you know, we're, we're comfortable with the sources of imagery and, and other Earth observation data we have, and we utilize a, a, a wide range of them. Uh, the, the challenges on that side, frankly, are, are more about commercial model than I think they are about identifying new sources. All right. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So following up on that, what worries you about the state of the Earth observation industry? Is it uh, this commercial problem that we discussed is not going to be solved? Is it that or is there? Because it's usually a question that I ask is what worries you about the state of um, EO? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I think there has to be a way that, that, that these businesses can successfully balance a, you know, a, a range of business models from you know, real-time task intelligence for you know, very high-paying customers to businesses like Atlas AI that are trying to provide in, insights at global scale. And, and frankly, that may, that's not a one-sided conversation. It may require business model innovation on our part as to how we can uh, how we can work with these companies as well to uh, uh, to you know partner with them or to kind of show them the long term potential uh, econ- you know commercially from 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 the business that we're building, but that really seems like the central question that we need to answer if we're going to monitor every square kilometer of the planet on an ongoing basis. It, it's just this model just doesn't work in the absence of business model innovation with 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 these companies in, in, in partnership. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's kind of why in my recent piece I wrote about the need for an advisory layer to be, you know, the, the intermediary because, you know, you are the users of the data and there will be hundreds and thousands of users of the data. Um, and on the other side, there are the satellite data providers. It's, it's, it's a question of, you know, just being in the middle and acting as a service layer to help determine on your side what kind of data sets that you would require and then on the other side, you know, help them build build a business model. And honestly, I, I feel like there's nobody doing that today. And I kind of expected the VCs of the world to do that. Um, but I don't think that's happening. But yeah, it's something that needs to be done. And I think that needs to evolve for, um, you know, for the growth of the industry and for us to actually make use of all the data, because, you know, most of that data is either sitting locked in archives somewhere or I don't know, are just not tasked because, you know, nobody asked them to task it, um, you know, things like that. So it's just a, it, that's, that's kind of the state of EO today, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I, I agreed. I think the services layer is an important part of the ecosystem. You know, we've certainly collaborated with, with consulting firms over the past couple of years to, uh, to provide, you know, advisory components to an overall technology deployment plan. Uh, and, you know, I'll just say that so much of it is derived from working backwards from what the customer ultimately needs. So, you know, to uh, to again oversimplify, if if what the customer actually wants is a better version of of Salesforce uh, and you know one that is kind of enabled with external awareness or or ongoing insights from Earth observation and imagery. I don't think they want to move from Salesforce to a consulting relationship. They want to move from Salesforce to a better version of Salesforce or kind of a, a better tailored version of Salesforce that, that contains this kind of this component of a solution offering. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, there are a lot of question, questions that are not well generalized in that sense. Uh, for, you know, and, and you're probably right that it's probably the majority of questions that customers are trying to answer with these type of data sets are not well generalized. Uh, and in those scenarios, having... Uh, services and advisory layers uh, helping to really help the customer take the underlying technology to a kind of conclusion or to a recommendation or to a decision is 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 critical. Uh, you know, I think you know, the, this this industry will only reach its potential if there are more and more stories coming out about companies that have you know ultimately just made better decisions about. Uh, advancing their mission thanks to these new inputs that are that are increasingly available. Yeah, hundred percent. It's not just the satellite was launched or the data set was available or you know even if it was processed, it's the you know the final that something was done out of the um, out of the data that was available. All right, um, moving on to a couple of rapid questions. Um, something that I usually ask every startup that comes on 
podcast is in five years' time, what do you wish Atlas AI to be known for or known as? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that we are, uh, you know, we continually debate and and uh, and are and are developing our own position on. I, I I think the reality is in five years' time, we we wish to be known as a global business, uh, not one focused on any one market or or region. Uh, we want to be deep deeply ingrained within a number of industries that uh, have a need to better understand how market developments are, are informing kind of internal business priorities and, and using that to manage their business more effectively. And I really uh, expect that within that time frame, we'll have proven out this, this, this systems level model of how different data inputs that are that are creating awareness of different dimensions of 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 economic development are coming together to inform a, a more complete and holistic model of uh of earth observation so maybe still not at the level of where say weather models are as of 2022 but certainly you know a kind of kind of a very kind of usable applied prototype of uh, of, of systems level economic forecasting models that, that can really transform a number of industries and in how they understand where uh, the pace of development is informing uh, have faster, more responsive and, and better targeted investment on their part. All right, makes sense. Um, the last question or a couple of questions is uh, what's coming up in the short term? Are you hiring? Are you fundraising? What's um, what's coming up for Atlas in the short term? Yeah, definitely a lot going on. Uh, we've we we talked about the the uh, the announcement with Rockefeller and the eGuide team, which is going to keep us very busy uh, over over several years. We're in the process of scaling our uh, our SaaS application to multiple new regions and, and ultimately to a global footprint. Uh, we are hiring across a number of different roles within the company and, and would love to see candidates who are passionate about this space and, and want to reach out to express their interest. And we have a couple of, of, of announcements coming out in the next month that I'll, I'll save uh, the suspense on. Uh, but uh, some, some exciting partnerships that are in the works that I think are going to just continue to increase the availability of our technology to a broader market. All right. Sounds exciting. Anything else we missed, Abe, before we close? I think we touched on a number of topics. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation. I, I you know, I think, you know, very much the uh, the message that that you've been, you know, continuing to emphasize, you know, through your writing and, and research and, and through the podcast, you know, resonates strongly with how we think about building our company. And uh, we're excited for uh, for the next several years. We're optimistic about how the the industry is evolving, and uh, it just strikes us that. You know, this is the moment where this industry can really have a substantial impact when there's such a present dialogue about how we are developing more sustainably and efficiently as you know as a, as a global community and you know the role that earth observation data really p- plays in creating that bird's eye view of uh, you know of, of, of every community and and uh, natural asset on the on the planet so uh, appreciate the discussion all right brilliant thanks Abe thanks for being on the podcast yeah thanks a lot Ervin Hey, this is Arvind again. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the TerraWatch Space Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, TerraWatch on Substack. That is terrawatch.substack.com, where I attempt to decode the recent developments in space tech and its impact on Earth. Thanks again, and hope to see you for the next episode.